Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. I know, I'm tired. Like, you guys have had a few days to rest probably since our Comic-Con wrap-up episode. We just finished it. Yeah. And by the way, so I should say uh, thanks to everyone who came out to the meetup on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I also want th- uh, specifically to mention, specifically mention running into um, longtime listeners uh, Ian Brill, mm-hmm. um, who's awesome and uh, writes Darkwing Duck comics for Boom Studios. And also longtime listener Stephanie Smith, yep. who um, people should check out. Uh, if you're a Buffy fan, particularly check out the Potential Cast podcast. Okay. Or if you've never watched Buffy, Watch it, and after every episode, listen to the Potential Cast episode about that episode. That would be a fun way to do it. Uh, you know, I, I tried to listen to her podcast, but I just can't get past her accent. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's she, a joke, of course. That's a thing that apparently people have said. Oh, she has the most charming accent in the world. Yeah. She's from... Uh, talk to, I talked to her uh, Saturday night. She's from 20 or 25 minutes outside of Birmingham, Alabama. And you can hear it. Uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I love that accent. I think it's fantastic. And she, yeah, she was a delight. And I will actually be on the potential cast. By the time this goes up, I might have already done it. It's, mm-hmm. I know it's coming up. They haven't been entirely clear about when I'm on it, but I know based on what episodes they're putting up that they're going to have to have me on pretty soon. I recently tweeted about. Um, I recently, uh, unfortunately, had to get rid of my truck that has been in my family for a while now and uh, belonged to my father. So it was, it was a rather emotional day when I got rid of it. Uh, and I tweeted that, and uh, she tweeted back, "Bless your heart." And I'm like, <laughs> oh, "Of course you said that. That is wonderful. I just wish I could hug you." Yeah, she's so, great. But uh, anyway, so David, uh-huh. anybody who uh, listened to our last episode heard. Uh, a name get mentioned. Hold on. Over and over again. Hold on. Gina Carano, MMA fighter. I, well, I mean, we, we said it a couple of times. I mean, in, in reference to separate projects. I'm talking, of course, about Michael Fassbender. Oh, okay. Now, I like him a lot as an actor. I think he's, yeah. I would say he's great. He's yeah. a great actor. Have you seen Hunger? I haven't seen Hunger. I haven't seen Hunger. I hear it's wonderful. I haven't seen Fish Tank. Yeah, that's supposed to be... He's supposed to be good in that. I don't know if the movie's supposed to be good, but he's supposed to be good in it. I hear the movie's good. Oh, okay. Uh, I did see uh, Jane Eyre and, of course, Inglorious Bastards, and I saw Centurion and X-Men and, you know, I, I think maybe one or two other things. I'm excited to see... Uh, now I can't remember. Cronenberg's new movie. That, yeah, that I know what you're talking in. about. I can't think with... And uh, it's, I feel like it has one of those titles that's just like, eh, it might. this might as well be called anything. <laughs> so... Uh, Dead Ringers. I was like, is it dead? Oh, wait, no, you're thinking of something else. <laughs> what if you were remaking Dead Ringers, only instead of someone playing both roles, it was Fassbender and Mortensen, <laughs> but they're supposed to be twins and we're just not supposed to notice that they're not. It's, yeah, because then you're just like, man, this woman sure is dumb, uh, not realizing you know, that uh, they're separate people. I tend to have a bad memory for movies that I didn't like, but occasionally there'll be movies like, I liked Dead Ringers, but mm-hmm. I need to watch it again because I... I can like remember lots of images and stuff from it, but mm-hmm. plot-wise, I don't really remember what happens in Dead Ringers. Well, it's not a plot-heavy movie, David. I'll, I'll tell you that. It's mostly characters. But, uh, okay. But yeah, so uh, I don't have anything negative to say about Michael Fassbender at all. Okay, he better not. We'd, they'd be showing up at your door with torches. Exactly. Yeah. And herein lay what I wanted to talk about at the top of the show, and my hope is that this doesn't uh, uh, take up too much time. I, d- I, I don't think it will. But... Uh, Overexposure. What does that mean, and is that a real thing, and how does one avoid it? Uh, because 
was it I, was it Inglorious Bastards that like kicked it off for Michael Fassbender? Like, well, he was in Three Hundred. Okay, and I don't remember him in Three Hundred, so I feel like oh, yeah, that should didn't say something. He was then, right? Uh, I'm looking at his filmography okay. right now. So uh, he was also in Band of Brothers, which you talked about last week. Okay. Um, so I'm wondering what because then Three Hundred. Did we talk about Band of Brothers last week, or did you and I have a discussion off mic just now about just it? Just now we had a discussion. Okay. We were, we were doing a thing that I like to do with my friends, actually, uh, which is rank the friends. The cast of the show Friends... As, as far as sexiness. <laughs> no, just who are your favorite to least favorite. Uh, I think the only time we've done it, we've done it on air on my other show, Sean and I. But uh, it's, a, it's a game I like to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we did talk about David Schwimmer. Yes. Off mic, so you're right. We didn't talk about that last week. So yeah, I guess Hunger and Fish Tank, and then I yeah, I guess in terms of box office, the thing that led him to be cast in things now, like yeah, but I mean a lot a lot of people, uh, Hunger got a lot of buzz. I know it didn't make a lot of the box office, but I think him as an actor might have gotten cast off of Hunger in terms of buzz as well. But this is not the point of the argument we're having or discussion we're having here. It's just weird how quickly he. Uh, I've been reading. I, I recently read the Tipping Point. How quickly he tipped as an actor. I feel like quicker than most. But I feel like to go from nobody knows you to within three years being in like four, four or five movies within a, you know, a uh, eighteen month period. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like you could be very much overexposed and I feel like people could get almost tired of you at that point. I don't think people are in any danger of getting tired of Michael Fassbender okay. anytime soon. I guess it, it had less to do with him and more to do with a general discussion of overexposure of like someone, right. an actor especially. Okay, well, here's something we'll talk about. Okay. Because this is, I hate to keep plugging my other show, but this is something that... You're talking about previously on? Yeah, uh, previously available on. Previously on, uh, and I don't previous think we've ever show? talked about, I'm trying to think if Sean and I have talked about this on mic, but it's a conversation we've had someone that we both like and i know you like too but because of the type of things that we tend to watch Mm -hmm. john ham yeah like uh the like there's 30 rock but then like a couple episodes of children's hospital and then he'll do like the between two ferns was that galifianakis bridesmaids like which i didn't see but it's things like i love john ham he's from st louis and he's funny. And he's a good actor. He's very good looking. Um, he's very smart. Uh, he's very good looking. I, I, I want to I look like him. Um, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll settle for looking at him. <laughs> uh, but I feel like... I feel like what's happened is all these comedy people have are, are so like in awe of the fact that they're friends with someone as good looking as John Hamm, who's mm-hmm. also funny, that they can't wait to put him in shit to be like... Well, he's the lead of a... a- very successful show, but also, but I mean, because he's got a good sense of humor, it's like, right? That's, I want to show off that I'm friends with him and show off like that he is funny, and it's like, yeah, I know, but now just like having John Hamm show up in a thing, and again, to most people who watch most TV and movies, John Hamm has been in Mad Men and Bridesmaids, right? And maybe they saw the day the earth stood still, but it's because oh, yeah. of the stuff that I watch and the town he was in the town, right? Yes, but because of the stuff that I watch, the comedy stuff, like it seems like there's this thing of the John Hamm shows up or the unexpected John Hamm cameo right. that's become like it's made me like 
Again, okay, he, so he did a regular... Uh, people don't watch the Between Two Ferns. Um, it's a very funny web series that Zach Galifianakis does. So people... If Zach Galifianakis is known, so people probably do know what Between mm-hmm. Two Ferns is. Um, he did, like, a regular one where he was the interview subject, and then recently... And that was, like, two years ago. Yeah. And then recently they did another one where, in the middle of the interview, John Hamm walks in and goes, Did I leave my keys here? And Zach Galifianakis is like, That was two years ago. And then he reaches into one of the ferns. He's like, Got him. And walks off. And I love the idea. It's very funny. I love the mm-hmm. idea of a past guest. But the fact that it was John Hamm made me go like... It, it felt almost predictable. Almost like, of course it was John Hamm. Right. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with him. He's very funny. He's a very good actor. And he's a good sport. So it, it's nothing against him. It's almost like, if you want him to be seen as funny, like if you want the effect of that, you need... You can't have him in everything. Because uh-huh. him being... A really good host on Saturday Night Live and him being mm-hmm. very funny on 30 Rock, it has the most punch when you think of him primarily as Don Draper and Don Draper doesn't isn't funny. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he may say a couple things here and there that are very dry mm-hmm. um, but like, he is not funny and so to see the actor playing him be very funny and silly, silly and do yeah. whatever, he, whatever he's got to do to get a laugh that yeah. is rare. Like, and you're I don't like, know That's if you delightful. watch Children's Hospital, mm-hmm. but there's like there's lots of things they will introduce as like seemingly being major plot points that will never be talked about again. Okay. So anytime you see Malin Ackerman on the show, technically that's supposed to be John Hammond drag. Like that was a thing, <laughs> like a revelation at one point, and then they just like moved on for it, <laughs> moved on from it. That uh, sounds delightful. Yeah, I, there's all kinds of great stuff like that. Children's Hospital is so awesome. But I, I feel like, and maybe and uh, something like this, which. I can't, again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm crapping on John Hamm. He's great. There's no question about that. And he'll always deliver on whatever it is he needs to do. Yeah, it's more about the people who keep putting him in things like... It's not a gimmick if, if he always does it. Right. You know, it's not a. It's not like this rarity, like, oh my gosh, they got Mad Men's John Hamm doing this crazy, crazy thing. He does crazy things all the time now. He's yeah. known, I think, maybe to people like you and me, but I feel like... You know, 30 Rock and Bridesmaids are big movies, uh, big TV show, big movie. And so I feel like he's known, I think at this point, just as much for being funny Mm -hmm. as being serious. And so... I didn't see Day of the Earth's Dead Cell. Is he funny in that? He was hilarious. He made that movie a comedy, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I didn't see the film. But I don't know. So... That's an example of overexposure in one specific thing making the overall effect not quite as good. The funny is still there. The core funny is still there. But the sh- the shock and the nudging of like, that's John M. from Mad Men doing right. this goofy thing, that's not there anymore. And it's because he's been in so many things. And so that's a very specific but I think example of over, over overexposure ruining something. Yeah. And I don't. the reason I think that's not a danger with Michael Fassbender is that... People like him because he's a good actor and he is, like John Hamm, really good looking. Mm-hmm. And so, but he's not, like we talk about this, rep, rep, let me stop stuttering, repetitive use of John Hamm as like this, right. his, where his presence is funny, like Michael Fassbender's appearances and roles are varied enough. You know, he's went from playing, being in 300 and Band of Brothers, where he's mm-hmm. a soldier, to, like, he's a mutant, or he's... I guess he's been a soldier in a lot of shit, now that I think about it. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, a soldier in uh, Inglorious Bastards. But um, he's, I I guess, supposed to be a cyborg in Prometheus, you know, hmm. and he's a, 
uh, a spy in Haywire. Like it seems like it's it's varied enough. And I get and so in that sense, of course, uh, we get we'll get several different characters and several different performances out of him. I think he's a really great actor. I loved him in uh, in X Men. He's by far the best part of that film. Uh, and then by Jane, far, yeah, in yeah, my so, opinion, yeah, leaves the rest of the film behind. But uh, and then Jane Eyre, he's really great, and I still haven't seen Hunger. And and he, of course, the character in Inglorious Bastards is written well, but he rises to that mm-hmm. and really creates a character out of two scenes really Mm -hmm. long scenes admittedly but still and so he's a really great actor so i think he can transcend that but there is there is something even in my even in me who you know i see i see a lot of movies and there are actors that i just happen to notice here and there uh frequently but there's something in me that like you know i see a trailer and there he is i see a movie that just came out and there he is you mentioned Comic-Con, and his name pops up in a few different projects that are slated to come out within a year of each other. Mm-hmm. And part of me just, I don't have any ill will against him. And, of course, he's kind of a yeah, hot commodity right now. Work ethic. Absolutely. And he's, but there is something, and, and knowing, knowing that the Cronenberg film is going to be coming out, um, there's just... Oh, right. I was looking that up, and I forgot. And there's just something, I don't know, there's something... Uh, it it doesn't create a negative emotion in me, but it's just that it's like, man, a dangerous guy, method, a dangerous method, uh, and so like, I don't know, I can't I can't put my finger on what it is about the idea of overexposure that every time you turn around you see this actor or this actress, and but there's just something just like, man, take a break, like I'm tired of seeing you, even though yeah. I love seeing you, I don't know what that is. Uh, do you ever get that with anybody, or is it? Is it I something think, like I mean, a, I, I, if I look back over the like the last ten years, there's been these waves where it's like, man, Jude Law's and everything, man, William H Macy's and everything, yeah. Julianne Moore's and everything, Nicole Kidman's and everything, and then mm-hmm. it does seem to burn away, and sometimes right. they go the way of uh, Jude Law and Nicole Kidman, where I stop really caring about them. Right. But then sometimes they're William H Macy or Julianne Moore, where it's like, okay, the overexposure is over, and now they're just good in stuff again. And I guess maybe that's that's my question is do you think that people simply by – it has nothing to do with him as an actor and the performances that he puts out there. But just seeing him again and again, do you think people are – will get to the point where they just don't care about him anymore? It might happen for some people, but I think uh, – Okay. I think the net gain for his career and his recognizability will be worth it for the uh, people he might – who might burn out on him? And I think that he's he's. And definitely, I also think he's a real deal. Yeah, I think he'll he'll definitely win an Oscar at some point in his life. Not that that necessarily mm-hmm. means anything, but he's. I think he's that caliber where he could be a supporting actor and then a lead actor. He can yeah. play, you know, a kind of a dashing lead or uh, like a villainous type. Like he's he's a, a good look, a really good looking character actor. And I feel like the, I don't know, he's um, he's very solid. Yeah. Well, one. Uh, little, I guess, controversial statement before we get into the topic okay. in terms of who's the real deal. There's another somewhat overexposed, good-looking actor that everyone seems to like across the board. That I, Cor- uh, J- John Hamm. No, that I am... I like a lot of his movies, but I'm still not... I, I feel like... I've known who he is for the better part of a decade now. Still not... Still feel like the jury's out on whether or not I like him as an actor, and that's Ryan Gosling. Like, there's movies like The Believer and Half Nelson yeah. that... 
man, he's great. But then there's like United States of Leland and Murder by Numbers. I don't think that's... I, I feel like that's not necessarily his fault, though. There's only so much that he could do with United States of Leland. That character was written uh, a certain way. Right. But like... But it, like Fracture, like that seems like a... Well, that seems like a nothing role anyway. Yeah, that's the problem. It's like... It's like you want to be learning from early career Anthony Hopkins, not late career <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. Well, let me put it this way. I did not expect to like Lars and the Real Girl, and by and large, I didn't. Uh, but his perf- And I really did not expect to like that character and his performance. But his performance made me, first off, believe the character and sort of root for him, even though I didn't like the movie in general. Well, but do you think... All right, this will actually be a great segue into the topic. Okay. Um, Brennan Gleeson is an actor Damn right. that, even if he's in a movie that is dumb or made by a hack director, he's good in it. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, Fiona, Fiona Flanagan, if you know who yeah. she is. Um, do you know who she is? She Was she TV. in Lost? She's in Lost and okay. on Brotherhood. Yes, okay. Um, and they're both in a new movie coming out. Uh, it's, it's out in limited release by the time this episode goes up called The Guard. They're, those are movies. Those are actors that even if the director is bad, they're good. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ryan Gosling is still at a stage in his acting that he needs a director who knows what he's doing to get a good performance out of him. Hmm. I think here's what here's what I'll say is I think he is a great actor. You know, he's a very good actor. And he will become a great actor once he is not limited by a character. Because there are some people who, you know, I, I, the, the example I always use, and I'm sure listeners are tired of it, and I apologize if you are. The example I always use is Robert Duvall on The Sixth Day. The character is so-so, you know, he's, he's really the only bit of depth in that film from a personal and a philosophical standpoint. Uh, he's really one of the only true sci-fi elements of the film but you know a lesser actor would have made that character just kind of whatever but rob duvall crafts him into a real character robert duvall sorry he said rob duvall bob duvall bobby (laughs) duvall well people call him that but they don't call him rob nothing about him and says rob (laughs) at all um but he he manages to bring something to the character that was never in the words Mm-hmm. And I feel like Ryan Gosling is an actor who, when the words are there, like in Half Nelson yeah. um, or The Believer, he will play that part. He will find every nook and cranny of that character and to the point where you can't imagine it. You cannot imagine anybody else in that role. So in that sense, he's a very good, I'd say almost great actor. But at this point, I feel like, and again, like the examples that we are giving, a few years old now. You know, I didn't see Blue Valentine. And uh, Crazy Stupid Love, it looks like he's doing some new things in that as well, because he usually plays a rather angsty type of character, whereas in that he's sort of a Lothario and all that. So I feel like everything that I'm saying about him could be a few years old, but I feel like he, he hasn't found a way to elevate... A character. He will. He will always explore exactly what is in a character, which means he's only ever going to be as good as the character is. Well, I, uh, I, the reason I bring up um, Brendan Gleeson and Fiona Flanagan in this movie, The Guard, directed mm-hmm. by um, John Michael McDonough, um, has to do with the brother topic. of Neil McDonough. No, brother of Martin McDonough. Um, 
Yeah, but they're they're both brothers of Neil McDonough. <laughs> Why does Neil McDonough spell it differently then? <laughs> <laughs> because he's trying to distance himself oh, from see. the family. Um, they had a falling out. He's not trying too hard. <laughs> he's he's not going like full, you know, Emilio Estevez, exactly. um, or or Nicolas Cage. Anyway, uh, this movie is a okay. This movie, The Guard, is pretty good for the first two thirds. It's a pretty good movie. It's got some great performances, some great moments, mm-hmm. uh, some very funny stuff, some very uh, disturbing stuff. Um, and then, but then it's also got some elements that are maybe a little like uh, trying too hard to be shocking or, yeah. or is a dark comedy, you know, trying too hard to be, uh, to be dark, you know, but then it has this third act that is fucking great. Just okay. phenomenal. It's a sort of, um, you know, it's essentially a Western by the, by the time it becomes more and more a Western as the movie goes on, mm. uh, and the third act is very straightforwardly uh, essentially a western that takes place in modern day Galway, Ireland. Um, and so I had I saw this movie at a press screening. I know certain listeners don't like me talking. I think because they're jealous. They don't like me. They say that I say too often. I mention press screenings too often. Do you think that's true? Uh, no. Okay. I'd, I'd, you've, got, you've gotten feedback about that? Yeah. Like I like I. Like I'm gloating or something. Sorry, it's how I see movies now. Uh, and, and it's the only way I can... I feel like I have to explain why I'm talking about a movie that hasn't come out yet. Now that that I'm on board with. Because, yeah, like, oh yeah, I saw this movie. And, and then to avoid confusion, because some people are like, oh, I didn't know that came out. It's like, I went to a press screening. Right. Because, like, I will qualify it before they say it so that it doesn't sound like I said it so that I was bragging. Like, uh, like... I'm forcing them to ask me. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so anyway, I saw The Guard at a press screening. Um, Listeners, stop complaining I, about that. I left the screening, though I spent a lot of it struggling with like, do I like this? Oh, I don't like that part. Oh, that was good. Oh, mm-hmm. this is funny. I left in such a good mood because it ends so strongly. Okay. And so the topic today is something that you and I have talked about off mic before. Mm-hmm. And maybe we've mentioned on mic. I feel like maybe we have. Um, to what extent is a movie especially a narrative movie mm-hmm. uh, defined by the way it ends. Does, uh, does a bad movie become good if it ends well? And does a good movie become bad if it uh, ends disappointingly? Um, and I feel like that the answer might be different for those two scenarios. Right. So let's get into it, shall we? Yeah. Uh, okay. So was it, was it the guard that caused you to, to think of this? Well, we had had the conversation, and there was an, the, actually another press screening, a movie that hasn't probably won't have come out by the time you've uh, seen this, which is the directorial debut of writer Vera Farm- Farmiga, or Farmarga, I'm mm-hmm. not sure how you say it. It's called Higher Ground. Okay. Um, in which she plays, um, over the course of a number of years, uh, someone who has lived and grown up in and around the sort of evangelical brand of the Christian church and her mm-hmm. sort of like uh, struggles with how her, you know, does her belief fit in with this it, or you know does her belief fit in with the people that she believes the same thing as mm-hmm. and it's um, there's a lot of room for it to be uh, almost embarrassing but it actually is really subtle and well observed but then 
it reaches for this ending and tries to stick a sort of grandiose landing at the end, and it misses the mark. Okay. <laughs> like the last scene of Higher Ground, I love. I, I pretty much loved the whole movie. And the last scene, it was a miscalculation. It's not good. Uh, and so that was when I first started thinking about it. And then having seen The Guard earlier this week, I was like, this keeps coming up. And I know it's something that is of interest to Tyler. Let's mm-hmm. talk about it on the show. So so literally within uh, you know a week or two, you had a movie that I, it sounded like you loved that ended on a sour note. Uh-huh. And a movie that you were so-so about ending on a great note. Yeah. And as a result, your feeling towards higher higher ground yeah uh your feeling towards that is just like oh like you want to love it but it ended it had this little freaking thing at the end and now i don't even know what to do um yeah that is i am of the opinion that a film is defined quite a bit by its ending yeah i know that's why because i disagree this isn't tv david (laughs) all right um it was only two hours ago that this movie started we remember it right but um uh, I think so because whether it be the screenwriter or the director or the studio, and of course when it comes to endings, I think that's when the studio gets involved more than almost any other element of a film. Mm-hmm. And so, you know... It, well, the two it, examples I gave are not... Right. No, studio. no, not at all. But uh, but I feel like, you know, if ever you see a movie where there's a, a, an obvious happy ending tacked on... You're just like, mm, yeah. I can see every I, string I being clear, the pulled. The movies I've seen are studio acquisitions. They're being distributed by the Sony Pictures Classics okay. wing of Sony. Keep giving us those press screenings, guys. <laughs> um, so, uh, but no, I. So, whoever it might be, writer, director, studio, someone somewhere decided this is how the this is the note we want to end on. This is what we want people ultimately thinking about. They'll think about the whole movie, but this is this is the last thing that they're going to be thinking about, and it's what's going to I don't know. It's what's going to what's going to be in their mind. The, the, it's, it's what's going to be freshest in their mind as they leave and, and go home, and, and that's where. They, and of course, as time goes on and they think back on the movie, the, and the audience thinks back on the movie, they will probably think of the whole movie. But immediately, they're thinking about the ending, and you know, you walked out of the guard feeling great. Yeah. And as such, you think of the movie as great. And if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, in your the last line of your review said it might be one of the most fun experiences you have in the theater this year. Yeah. All right. And by the way, if I can, I usually save reviews for the website, but I mm-hmm. will say if you get a chance to see, even though it's not a huge spectacle type movie, mm-hmm. there are choices made on the soundtrack and stuff, um, and with the. Uh, the opening titles and stuff that make the make the guard worth seeing. If you're going to see it, it's worth seeing in the theater. And it's a good. Uh, I mean, this is off topic, but people tend to talk about movies that you have to see in the theater as being big spectacle, session, mm-hmm. special effects type movies. This is a good sort of counter argument to that. That this is a very a very small movie, a you know a lowish budget that because of certain directorial choices, mostly like. Unless you have a great sound system and you don't share a wall with someone and you have a nice house, mm-hmm. you can't turn your stereo as loud as the guard needs to be. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are some very loud parts of the movie. I will keep that in mind. That's very exciting. Um, 
because it is very rare that you see a a smaller movie that uh, that takes full advantage of its right. uh, uh, theatricality. But uh, but no, and so it's the thing. The ending is what is most fresh in your mind. It's it is when it is what they want you to think about as you're leaving. Mm-hmm. They the filmmaker has decided they have no more story to tell past this point. And so, because really, what what good would it be to tell the story past this point? Mm-hmm. And so, in that sense, I feel like that is, the ending is what a movie. This may not always be true. It depends on the movie, but I'd say in a in a broad sense, the ending is what the movie is about. Because also, from a thematic standpoint, th- things that a movie explore, that a movie will explore. Uh, they all have to come together at the end. It might be in a really, you know, like you mentioned with uh, Higher Ground, it might be in a really over-the-top, hit-the-nail-right-on-the-head uh-huh. way, or it might be something really subtle, like the mo- first movie I've got written down here is No Country for Old Men. Well, let me um, talk, uh, again, uh, a couple more things about these two movies that no one who's listening has seen, okay. and then we'll get on and talk about movies that people have seen, because okay. that's more interesting. Um, the difference is, I guess, with the guard, not only is it a good ending, but it is what you're talking about. Thematically, things come together, mm-hmm. um, come to a head, and so it it colors the whole piece backwards because you see how it all worked together. Right. The thing with Higher Ground is that it doesn't. It doesn't. The things. What happens in that last scene of the movie? I think are executed poorly, poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a miscalculation to maybe go that big, but it doesn't contradict the characters. So that's why I have trouble. Like I still think of higher ground very fondly yeah, because I still see the journey of this character as a whole. Um, but, but the, the ending, the, the last scene not working for me, it goes back to our craft versus content uh, episode. It doesn't work for me for a craft standpoint. Mm-hmm. They should not have, made some decisions they'd made uh as far back as the screenwriting uh stage but in terms of content it's still all of a piece so that's why it's a difficult more difficult conversation for me whereas and i'll let you talk again in a second a movie like matchstick men that i really do really dislike uh is because the ending of matchstick men changes everything that happened before Mm -hmm. in a way that really bothers me because it makes me feel like I was invested in something. It may, it feels, it's like, there's a difference between like a, you know, we talked about twists a little bit in the last episode for some reason. Um, uh, you know, um, a twist is like a, almost like a prank someone pulls, you know, and you're supposed to be like, and, and you go, oh, you got me. You, yeah. You know, it's supposed to be a pleasant thing. The twist in Magic Men feels mean to me. Feels like mm-hmm. feels like I've been made a fool of when that happens at the Which, end. Which arguably, uh, Matchstick Men has uh, shrunk in my uh, estimation as time has gone on. Uh, but at the time, I really enjoyed it. But one could say that the feeling of betrayal uh-huh. is appropriate given the nature of the film. Um, that it's about con men, and so you yourself feel as though you've but been conned. Spo- yeah, but I, I mean, I feel like you're supposed to. Uh, empathize with the character and feel like these other characters mm-hmm. 
betray. I'm still. I'm trying not to. I know the movie's yeah. eight years old at this point, but I'm trying to uh, not give spoilers. You're supposed to be. You're supposed to feel like the characters have betrayed you. Mm-hmm. I'm not mad at the characters in the movie at the end. I'm mad at Ridley Scott and the people who <laughs> wrote the movie. Yeah, because they were the ones who played this mean mean trick on me. Yeah, it's and that and there that is the problem is when you see the hand of the filmmaker and they're making the characters their puppets really, uh, and yeah. they're doing something. It's like mm, you're trying to make this guy that I've spent two hours getting to know. And now you're making him do this thing, and based on what I know of him, it doesn't it doesn't really gel. Uh, there's a movie that uh, that I'm a big fan of, in spite of its ending. And this is a good example of what I'm talking about, where the studio so obviously, like you could take out the last, I'm going to say minute and a half uh-huh. to two minutes of this movie, and it, there's a there's clearly an ending. It's not a happy ending. And then only in the last minute and a half is there a big game changer, and it literally ends with the main character, like, dancing. Uh-huh. And it's just like, yay, What? it's the happiest ending possible. And that's the movie Other People's Money, oh, which, yeah. which is an incredibly cynical film. Yeah, it's, it, People have, I think, rightfully described it as, like, like, an anti-Capra film where it treats Danny DeVito's side as, like, He's making good points, and he's making inspirational speeches in favor of pro business. Uh-huh. You know, which and of course the, it was based on a play written in the eighties, so a very time uh, specific. But then, and it ends with him losing uh, the girl that he cares about because he can't help his nature. He has to win. He has to keep doing this thing for business and for money, and so he's miserable even though he won. And, you know, it's anti-greed, anti-whatever. But then at the end, the woman that he... Because she was on the opposite side of, uh, like, this this fight over a company. So then she calls him and says, Hey, I've been in contact with such and such a company, and we can still keep our company open if we devote it to making these things instead instead of what it has been making. So we can keep the company open. The two of us can be together... And you still get your money. And then it ends with Dana DeVito, like, like being excited and dancing. And it's like, so nobody loses? Like, you know, because last I checked, when it comes to, like, hostile takeovers and, like, liquidation and, like, uh, laying people off, no, no, no situation ends like this. I realize you're making a comedy, but you are making an R-rated adult comedy. And... It has to. I feel like it should go down a little, a little bittersweet. So I don't mean to. I don't mean to like just talk about this specific ending, but, but I feel the same way about other, other people's money. Yeah. Like I, I when I think back about the film, I, I forget how it ends. Exactly, and and it's and because the the ending that they tacked on is so so tonally and characteristically different. Uh huh. I'm able to just be like, okay, well, that's the studio. We'll just act like that didn't happen, and I'll just I'll just fast forward straight to the credits. It makes me think of it puts me in mind of the production code and the way that movies had like people had to be punished, and a lot of those you don't think about. I'm trying to think of an example at the top of my head mm-hmm. where it's like, oh yeah, and then he gets killed or arrested at the end. Yeah. But that's not the point. I, I, I can't think of an example, but I'll talk about Scarface, which is made... Mm-hmm. What year was Scarface? 32, I think. Okay, pre-code. Yeah. And then there was the newer Scarface. 
um, which are both movies that, um, yeah, the guy dies at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess there's a difference here. Like, the original Howard Hawk Scarface is, I guess, kind of a tragic story. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas De Palma's Scarface is, uh, the ending is almost like a reaffirmation of like, yeah, this guy made all the right choices. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's a, almost a martyrdom. Yo, there's a reason that like you will find like huge t-shirts with Al Pacino's Scarface on them. Yeah. And just like, this guy's a terrible person. <laughs> Maybe one of the worst people in movies. So, do you, but do you think, um, I mean, you've seen the Howard Hawks Scarface more recently mm-hmm. than I have. Um, is, does that exist there, or is it just a tragic story? Is there a no? I think it's a tragic story. I, is think, there a glorification of him in the original? No, not at all. He's a he's a brute and a monster that it is difficult. Who is probably sexually attracted to his sister, by the way, um, and it's awesome. And it's surely through the will of the performer that they convey that. Um, but thought, thought of an example. But it's in the code. Okay, don't, don't forget. But it's. Uh, but yeah, no, that that the ending seems like an inevitability. The the choices that this guy and this guy specifically is making, the way he's making them, it was always going to end like this. Right. So, the ending of De Palma Scarface then is it just well, he died in the original, so he has to die in this one too. That is like, the vi- that's the vibe that I get. Yes. Like if they really would wanted to follow through on the movie that the version of Scarface that they're making, he'd be president of the United States at the end. Right. You know, he, he, I'll tell you how they end the De Palma Scarface. Uh Davy Crockett at the Alamo. Mhm. That's how a hero who it's like who who goes down swing and say hello to my little friend. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to have a yeah. face full of coke. I'm yeah. And just like you know, yeah, it's absolutely, it's supposed to be this big martyr. It's like, and then, oh, the world is yours. Ah, well, hey, it, it could have been if it weren't for these assholes. Yeah. Yeah, this guy killed a lot of people and was an absolute monster. But okay, anyway. to back to my production code example. Yes, go ahead. Um, and I could be wrong because I haven't read the book, but I think okay. you have. Have you read The Postman Always Rings Twice? Yes. It ends differently, right? The, do I, they die in a car crash or whatever no i don't think so i think they i think it ends with oh okay in both of them they end the same way by the way oh okay um then i didn't think of an example okay they they both i help me think of an example i've got one okay good um no in in that they there is a car crash in both and uh and the character winds up in uh jail and he's going to die so um hmm I think that's I, they both end badly. There's I'll one of this. these noir badly. books where they get away with it in the book and they don't in the movie, right? Oh, um, well, it certainly isn't. The postman always rings okay. twice. That's James M. Cain, and he his characters don't get away with anything. <laughs> um, eventually, they get away with a lot of stuff uh, throughout <laughs> the book. Uh, no, I've got one not where they get away with something, okay, but a clear example of changing. Uh, such a dramatic tonal shift uh-huh. uh, b- because of the studio involvement, and this is not necessarily a code thing. It's so much. It's more that the studio wants it to be something that it isn't. Uh, but the, does it take place during the code? Does this come out during the code? Uh, this was the '30s. Okay, I want something that happened during the code, just so I can get it off my mind and we can move on. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> well, this is. Uh, it happened during the code, but I don't think it's a function of the. Code. All right. This is just. 
typical studio bullshit that you I feel find like I now. know there's an example I'm thinking of, and I can't think of it. But anyway, go on. Um, the, uh, the Glass Key, which is based on a Dashiell Hammett book that the more I think of it, the more I love it. Um, and it's a wonderful book. I recommend reading it. If you don't feel like reading it, watch Miller's Crossing. It's watch Miller's Crossing, and then you f- you'll feel like you've read both The Glass Key and Red Harvest. So, uh, but it, and so I'll use Miller's Crossing as an example. In Miller's Crossing, of course, there's the crime boss, his girlfriend, and then his his bu- his uh, right hand man who's also sleeping with the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And the and the right hand man and the girlfriend really should be together, but she has you know she's kind of thrown her lot in with the crime boss. The crime boss is oblivious to all of this, and there you go. And in Miller's Crossing, uh, spoilers, I guess, in Miller's Crossing, it winds up that she stays with the crime boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and the right-hand man is sort of alone, and it ends in a very melancholy way. Dashiell Hammett's novel, very much the same. Uh, girl, The girl, the mole, I believe, is that what they always, like a... Uh, mall? Mall? Okay, yes, a I'm sorry. A mole would be like a... Right, but it's M-O-L. Rat. It's M-O-L-L. Oh, okay. I've never... N- You're thinking of Gretchen Mall, the actor. That must be it, yes. That's M-O-L. Um, but, uh, so, so she and the, and the crime boss wind up together, and, uh, and in the book, it's such, it ends in such a great way that, like, the main character is just sitting on his bed, just staring at the wall, and that's it, and he's alone, and there you go. In the movie, the story pretty much the same, very violent, a uh, lot going on. And then it, it pretty it looks like it's going to end with she winds up with the crime boss. And then the crime boss says, ah, come on, you kids. I know love when I see it. You know, that kind of thing. And then he <laughs> insists that the two of them get together and everyone winds up laughing the end. And it's so it's so ridiculous. Um, and but of course, that movie, much like other people's money, of course, that's not a the movie couldn't be less about that. That is absolutely the studio getting involved. And in those movies, I, it, it's, and it's such a tonal shift. It's the easiest thing in the world to completely dismiss. Um, but then there are some movies that there's either a twist or something like that, that clearly came from the director trying to be clever or something uh, like that. Yeah. And talk about a movie that where the ending ruins it, ruins it for you. Well, it's, I mean, you uh, talked about other people's money and the glass key is movies where the ending manages to not ruin it for right you. uh well there's a movie that i've uh, i mention a lot um you know i'll go with something else i was going to bring up the life of david gale uh but uh, that was a mediocre movie made absolutely terrible <laughs> in every possible way by attending um thematically artistically that ending is absolute shit and everyone never everyone associated with that film should be a- ashamed of themselves as a function of that ending <laughs> i know i'm being hyperbolic See the movie. I'm being subtle and nuanced. Uh, the ending hyperbolic. Of- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If that's right. um, uh, the ending of uh, the Omen uh-huh. uh, with the kid smiling always sort of bothered me, uh, partially because at that point I don't know. I kind of liked some of the uh, some of the. I don't know. I can't think. I can't think of the word now, even though it's an incredibly easy word. 
where you're not really sure exactly what's going on throughout the film. You know that there are... Ambiguity. Ambiguity. That's a, Thank you. That's exactly it. I like the ambi- ambiguity of the film. Um, there's definitely dark forces at work, but you don't know how big of a role they play in the life of this kid and in the conscious life of this kid. You don't know what he's aware of. And in many cases, in many ways, he just seems like a regular kid who has a couple impulses that are bad and he doesn't totally understand them and we don't either. To the point where, I, I guess I'm... We're talking about endings. There's going to yeah. be spoilers in this episode. Um, so when Gregory Peck is going to kill his own kid and you hear the kid, not in a demonic voice, just in his voice saying, Daddy, please no, it's very jarring and it's very frightening. And then the cops come in and they kill his father and everything's... And so the kid is safe, but you're not sure if you like that. And then at the end, the kid smiles at the camera and it's meant to be like, ah, this kid is evil. And so you read that, you know, I'm not even a huge defender of the omen, but I, I, right, I, I, yeah. I, I always read that a little different. Okay. You read that as cluing you in that, oh, he was aware the whole time. Whereas I read it as the events of the film have awoken or like opened another door of his consciousness to him realizing what he is. And so I think he's a different kid at the end when he smiles. I, that's how I've always just like uh, it's always 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 interpreted that shot. I, I definitely I think I, I'm kind of actually I'm on board with both of what we're saying because I certainly don't think that he was evil from the start uh-huh. or of the start of the film uh, or not consciously evil. I think that he maybe grows evil over the course of it, but it almost seems like that smile to me retroactively goes back. And maybe about halfway down. Okay. Ha- about to the about the halfway point of the film, and f- at that point, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I guess he was evil the whole time, and all. And to me, all that ambiguity washes away, and um, and the film becomes much less, much less nuanced uh, than I would have liked. Um, now, admittedly. That's not a very nuanced film. I don't really stand by that film as much. People compare it to The Exorcist, and in my view, there's no comparison. The Exorcist, Exorcist is much better. Um, the The Omen, um, yeah, it's a movie that I I know intellectually is not great, mm-hmm. but I, I love watching it. And there are so many parts in it mm-hmm. that are awesome. But then there are other parts in it that are kind of hokey. Oh, yeah. You know? Very. But... Uh, I hold the 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 nanny saying it's all for you, Damien, and throwing mm-hmm. herself out. That's as creepy as anything in The Exorcist to me. That's that's it one of my creepy. favorite moments in any horror film. And hey, if there's one thing that you and I specifically learned from The Omen, uh-huh. it's the baboons are dangerous. <laughs> B- baboons are dangerous. <laughs> so forceful. Um, but uh, so I feel like that's a movie where the ending, literally the very last shot makes me retroactively go back and it doesn't ruin the movie for me you keep saying me. retroactively go back but i feel like that's repetitive retroactively go back yeah i guess it just retroactively changes the film right um sorry uh but uh yeah so i feel like that's a, that's one of the examples and i know a lot of people are bothered by this but it's not really it's not the ending the last shot of the departed bothers so many people <laughs> in which you see the rat scurrying across uh, the balcony uh, ledge there um, railing and a well, lot here's, of- a, here's what that last shot did for me okay I spent the entirety of the departed going oh this is dumb oh wait no this is good wait yeah. no is this dumb 
right. oh, I think this might be good. And then there's the rat at the end. I was like, I was right. This is dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a very watchable movie with a lot of really great performances and an, in, an intensity on the part of the actors that I feel like makes it seem that it seemed like it is really good and not dumb at all. But in that last moment, it's like, what are you doing, man? Like, that's not you at all. Did you like, let the AD do that? Or like the second unit guy. But, uh, also Martin Scorsese, like uh, always puts great music in his films, but I think he needs to stick with the rock music from his, his own youth mm-hmm. and not basically just don't use the dropkick Murphy's. <laughs> I know, you know. I, I say that maybe that's just a personal thing because I actually know a lot of people who really like that song. Mm-hmm. That's in like the it's in the movie like two or three times. It's the mm-hmm. DVD menu. I really don't like that song, and I don't like the whole Dropkick Murphys thing at all. Well, it's almost it's almost like Martin Scorsese is like, look, I'm Italian. That's really all I know. Uh, this is Irish, so it's either the Dropkick Murphys or the Pogues. Yeah, um, <laughs> the Pogues, and I I like, like the Pogues personally. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the Pogues, they're they're. Uh, their thing is kind of overblown, but they were writing good songs. Yeah. Whereas, like, um, Jacques Murphy's are essentially just like a watered down like mix of the Pogues and Rancid, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's a it's a lot less inspired. Whereas, okay, again, the Pogues thing, if you look at them objectively, it's the mm. whole thing's kind of silly. Yeah. But it's good music, so yes, I don't care. Um. But so there are some people who say that they they get so furious at that last shot of the rat, <laughs> and it's just like it's a disposable shot. That is not a plot development, right. you know. It's just a it's just like a really that's all. It doesn't ruin the movie for me. It's just a shot, um, and so the movie certainly is not about that. Although I guess in a way it's totally about that because man, we're all rats when you think about it. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, uh, usually. The thing that fast that interests me about the effect that an ending can have, it's not so much whether it ruins the film for me or saves the film. The ones that I that I wrote on my list here, for the most part, uh, deal with movies that make you see the film in a different way, not even necessarily positive or negative, but you suddenly realize, like, oh, I was I was thinking about this wrong. Um, I guess it's more this than that. Um, I wish I'd made a list of those. That sounds like an interesting conversation. Like, for example... Hopefully it's something will jog my memory. Like, uh, the one that I... Okay, so a movie like JFK. Mm-hmm. It's, a pre- it's pretty straightforward, but Costner's monologue, which ends with him looking at the camera and saying, it's up to you. And then, of course, the the... Man, words are escaping me today. I don't know the uh, title, the the card at the end that says uh-huh. like "What's past is prologue." It's not a card, I guess. It is scrolling, but it says "What's past is prologue." You know, the f- future is up to you or whatever. It doesn't say that, but it's something like that. Um, at that point, I realized like, oh, I thought we were watching like the, something w- that was satirical, something that certainly comes from a place of anger. What I was actually watching is a call to action. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite realize that he's pointing the finger at me just as much as the uh, government the whole time. Like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And just this idea of, you know, I mean, Oliver Stone is definitely a provocateur, and that's really all that you think of, and then you see the movie, and you see the way, the note that it ends on, 
the idea of having your lead actor look at the camera and say it's up to you is so cheesy and so ridiculous, mm-hmm. but he pulls it off and he really earns it. And in that moment, you're like, oh, shit, I, I better call my congressman or something. <laughs> Howard Berman. Nah, he's in on it. Oh, they're all in on it. <laughs> I'm I, I bet I'm gonna run for Congress. Yeah, is what I'm gonna do. Yeah, well, I like he he earned it by putting that moment at the end of a like what's it, like four hours whatever JFK is like three fifteen. Um, Let's not be ridiculous. Like he tried to earn his way there. It's um, not like um, Lawrence Fishburne's speech like early in Boys in the Hood, which, uh, which is just. Bo- that's a movie that doesn't hold up at all. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Boys in the Hood. You don't need to. Is it terrible that I get Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society mixed up? But you've seen Menace to Society I've seen Men- because yeah. we watched it together. Yeah, and I love that movie. But I think they came out within like a year or two of each other. I don't know. The, I, there's and they're like, both uh, spoofed in Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the indeed, hood. Indeed, yes. I never saw South Central. I've seen, don't be, I've seen Menace to Society... I've seen Boys in the Hood, and I've seen Juice. And wasn't there one called Fresh? Uh, with uh, was Fresh ab- about the same thing, or are you just thinking of? Are you just grasping at movies with black casts? <laughs> no, no, it's not that. It's <laughs> down in the Delta. What's that about? Um, no, it's. I think it's, it's about so that. plain. It's, like, <laughs> they're all sort of in the same genre. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's what. That's how uh, Tyler Perry got his start. <laughs> but no, it's. Uh, I think Fresh is ab- is about like you know an, an urban youth played by I think his name Sean Nelson, um, okay. who is in uh, American Buffalo is what I know him primarily from. I don't know. Um, just you know, uh, under siege by these uh, criminal forces and that sort of thing. Um, but, anyway, uh, we were off topic. I yeah. wanted to talk about a movie also has a speech at the end okay. that I think very deliberately makes you think of the rest of the movie differently. Mm-hmm. That's M. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's clearly placed there for that purpose, to mm-hmm. color the rest of the movie. Because, um, and it's been a while since I've seen it. I know you uh, have, like Scarface and like other black and white movies, you've probably seen it more often and more recently than I have. Um, and this one's foreign, too, so yeah. I feel like... Uh, well, that's, that's like the crossroads of our sensibilities, <laughs> actually. Um but uh, I mean, I feel like that, that you, like I said, that's specifically the point of that speech mm-hmm. is to make you think of everything that happened in a different way. Yeah. Um, not that you're going to change your mind on whether or not killing children is good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's still a bad thing, but it's it almost hits harder when you're forced to contend with the fact that the person who's doing it is a human being well and and it, it helps you to realize that he's a human being whereas the people who would so readily demonize him are are in that moment quite monstrous uh-huh. he's he, we're being told throughout and being shown very monstrous things that he has done and surely they are monstrous but like in the characters themselves the 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 criminals, you know, the underworld and the cops, uh, we are sort of put in their position of just judging this guy and hating him and, and, and not, as you say, not viewing him as a person. And in doing so, taking the focus also off of us and what we might have done wrong in our lives and, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so in that last moment, we see that he's the person and we feel sympathy for him and we lose sympathy for the mob. Uh, and when I say mob, I mean, of course, 
the underworld, but also a mob of people. Right. And the fact that they lose any sort of, hum- you know, mob mentality means you move, really lose any uh, humanity you might have. And so, yeah, it's it's a film that winds up, you think it's one thing. You think it is a crime movie that's, that is a little a little better than the than the rest uh stylistically and thematically because it involves like some pretty uh pretty rough subject uh matter but then at the end it winds up being something far different uh i think and maybe even rougher (laughs) yeah oh absolutely yeah it's a film that i think still would make people uncomfortable certainly Mm -hmm. at the time and, and i think even so now well wait I'm ready to wrap up. Okay, I've got several more movies to talk about, but okay. I will... Well, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll we, lump, we did another episode before this. Yeah. I'm lump, tired. Uh, yeah, yeah. i got to get home to watch the two-hour Project Runway. You sure do. Season premiere. It's not really a two-hour premiere. Basically, it's the one-hour premiere beforehand. They're doing an hour-long uh, casting special. Oh, okay. All right. So I, I, You don't want to miss that casting special. I don't right? want to be accused of misrepresenting the season premiere as being two hours. I don't think you have to worry about being accused of that. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, even I don't know what I meant by that. So, oh, I know. I got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'll actually lump some of these together. Uh, there are... I feel like in doc... For some reason in documentary you run across this a lot, is that... I think because of the nature of what documentary is as a genre, you expect that things will be explained to you. Uh-huh. And that what you'll be seeing is representative of reality, and that by the end of it, you will come away from something more knowledgeable. Um, I think there's people ascribe educational properties to documentary. And so you come across a movie like Capturing the Freedmen's or The Fog of War, or to a lesser ex- to a to a slightly different extent, uh, like an exit through the gift shop. and I'll start with Fog of War. You you go in knowing and, and you watch the whole movie and it's like it's this guy just talking about his life. And mm-hmm. like and it's just this long interview and he's just putting everything out there like man oh man for a public figure who's been who is so in you know the public eye for so long and associated with this terrible thing uh, you know the Vietnam War for him to come out and just say stuff and put everything out there that's really something I'm watching something special. And then you then you get to the end of the movie, and you realize he hasn't really told you much. Mm-hmm. He's told you some stuff. He's hinted at some things. He's certainly expressed regret, but you really don't know much more about him than you did at the beginning. What you really what really only that the only thing that has happened is that certain things have been confirmed that you might have had a suspicion about, which was. And this, it's the same suspicion you would have about anybody in his position, which is, you know, maybe after 30 years, I'd start to, a person would start to regret the action mm-hmm. that they had taken and maybe not fighting hard enough against certain things. And he seems to have regretted that. And you're like, okay, well, that's, that's nice that that was confirmed. But by the end of it, you realize, like, he's still an enigma to me. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have him figured out. And the nature of what documentary, what I think documentaries are, and what this is, which is one guy talking, I really thought I was going to get to the heart of this man, and I couldn't be further away. And I happen to find that invigorating. Like I, I, and by the end, I like that Errol Morris takes that attitude because it almost implies that like 
yeah, you're never going to really know anybody. It doesn't matter how much I film them. It doesn't matter how much they tell you. You're never going to know everybody or, or anybody at the, to the level of which you want to know them. If they want to stay at arm's length, they will. And e- even while they are giving uh, long explanations of things, if they want to keep you far away, you will be far away. And so he, I feel like the film winds up the film seems like it's about this guy specifically and about war. And I feel like by the end it winds up being about like the intangibility of knowing people, but that might be something that I'm putting on it. Uh, I don't know, but the end of fog of war and it ends with something of a shrug is something that, that made me think of uh, approach the whole movie in a different way. I I think there's something to, uh, Morris's approach in that movie that backs up your point. He, I think, Aaron Morris makes the very ballsy decision to not, as a documentary documentarian, confirm or deny anything that Robert McNamara says. Mm-hmm. For all you know, he could be lying the entire time. Yeah, uh, and so that does lead me to believe that Errol Morris is trying to achieve something more than just this document of the Vietnam war or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, it really is about, you know, identity and representation and memory, mm-hmm. uh, and identity. I said it in a twice, but it's important. And I feel like I, and of course, capturing the Freedmen's. I mean, pretty much that one, the whole time, the whole film you're being, led down one path and then another and you never really know who's lying who's telling the truth maybe everybody's lying you really mm-hmm. have no idea and then the film basically ends and the ending is just an extension of the whole film and so in a way it makes perfect sense there's no twist the only th- the the only reason that it's notable aside from being a wonderful film is that it ends beca- it's it's almost as if the filmmaker is putting you in mind to be like, oh, I'm never going to know this, so mm-hmm. I might as well just stop now. Um, but uh, I don't know. And, and I, I like documentaries that that use their endings, use, as I was talking about earlier, wh- at what point they say, this is where I'm stopping. The story goes on much yeah. longer. I'm stopping here did because ever, it doesn't matter how much longer it goes on. Did you ever see Brothers Keeper, that documentary? I didn't. You got to see that one. Uh, it sounds. I, I remember a lot of people saying you might have been the one to say that I that I would really like it, mm-hmm. but I I don't even really know what it's about. It's another documentary about a case. Uh, these sort of way off in this rural area, these two brothers who were they were old and had always lived together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, like never married, grew up together in this house and always lived together. And then one of them murdered the other one, or maybe he didn't. Hmm. And that's sort of what it's about. And that's and that sounds like I mean, of course, it's it's unfortunate that somebody died, and and you don't want to be uh, exploited of that. But at the same time, it just sounds like a lot of fun and very, as I said, <laughs> invigorating. Um, and uh, so I, I won't mention uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop because. That whole film, you're like, I don't even know. I don't know if this is real or not. <laughs> and the film, uh, much like capturing the Freedmen's, just continues on in that in that vein. Um, I'll bring up uh, Castaway, which mm-hmm. I love that ending. It might be one of my favorite endings. And, of course, it's 
one could say it's actually overwrought. I mean, that's the guy. It ends with him standing at a crossroads. Yeah, it, in my memory, it's overwrought. But at the time, mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoyed Castaway. I and and I, I'm sure I've told. I this. know it's a FedEx commercial. I don't want to get that complaint. Oh, who gives a but, shit? I don't, like, I don't care about that because like everyone has a job and. If somebody made a movie about that job, then the mo- you could say the movie the, the movie is a commercial for that business. Right. You know, he happens to work at FedEx. Uh, who cares? It, it it bothers me when people talk about um about like product placement. Of course, sometimes it's really obvious and it's like, "Ugh." But at the same time, we live in a world of products, yeah, and I so agree with you. just say it. So don't don't go and order a beer. I hate that. Don't or order a, pack a soda. Of cigarettes. Pack a cigarette. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I don't even smoke, and I know there's like <laughs> there's at least five cigarette companies out there. At least. But uh, so yeah, and but like with Castaway, what I like is that, and this goes to a thematic thing, is that you watch the film, and I remember I read a review, in which uh, you know right there. Yeah. Okay. I read a review in which someone said like, "Oh, Castaway, it's all about how we take." take our modern conveniences for granted I, and I and then I watched the movie I was like yeah it is about that not to mention so much more uh-huh. that is such that's such a small view of it I mean it ends with it ends basically with him delivering a monologue about how he couldn't even kill himself the way he wanted to and how he had control over nothing and the movie ends with him having nothing but choices he's at a crossroads in his life but literally he could drive in any direction. There is nothing stopping him. And how lucky we are as people to... Uh, not even... I wouldn't even say just as Americans, but as people to have choices. Even if the choice is to kill ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, ourselves. Uh, like, that to me is what the movie's about. And when you... That ending, as as lofty as it is makes me go back and look at uh, and look at the whole movie and realize like that's what the movie is about and that's what be, what we've been working towards is this i uh, this guy who at the beginning of the film is trapped by so many things like time deadlines his company uh-huh. and by the end is just completely free and uh man i love that movie i gotta watch that i'm gonna watch it again <laughs> i'm gonna watch it let's let's end this so that i can watch okay. it actually citizen kane uh something happened at the end of that one I can't remember. It's I can't remember a big thing. <laughs> and here's the thing: then we kind of just peters out. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it, about a, another. It just ends with a shrug. Um, <laughs> no, what I'll say about Citizen Kane is that what I like about that is that almost in the way of uh, same way as Fog of War, you feel like you're getting to the bottom of this guy, and it ends with here's what Rosebud is. It has a great deal of significance, and also none. Right. Do you really think that you can sum up a guy in one word? Mm-hmm. Really? That's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, and just and I like that it it sort of it, not to imply that it's it's condemning you the audience, but it might be condemning film going in general in the way that that it, not film going but filmmaking and that people filmmakers and audiences tend to or just storytelling story, in yeah. any form. Yeah. Yeah, just wanting to reduce people to a few basic ideas and that uh the film toys with that and then says like yeah it's his sled from when he was a kid man that's really profound do does that solve anything for you (laughs) right it doesn't okay yes it turns out that charles foster kane was bigger than any one thing so all right 
Uh, did we do a, a thorough enough job on this topic? We did. We gave it the battleship pretension treatment, <laughs> which is to, and so <laughs> just sort of talk around it for an yeah, hour and then come to no real conclusion. In a way, like like these movies we're talking like about. Kane. Yeah, I will say that you're talking about documentary made me realize that I think um, the reason that I have increasingly in my life become interested in things like sports and to a more my uh, lesser extent politics is kind of because they don't end like it's yeah. like i can get invested in a story and i don't have to worry about the ending ruining it for me because it's never going to end there's always going to be another game in another season it's like a soap opera really yeah you should get into those your stories yeah i I, well, I, I watch a lot of tv there you go uh all right well thank you for listening um you can find us at battleshippretension.com or in iTunes. You can email us, david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or in iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review podcast, previously on at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. You should watch a soap opera. Here's what I here's why I say so. Because <laughs> I watch Mad Men. Yeah, essentially I guess a soap that. opera. I mean like like I mean I you you of course work, but I feel like you should spend a month TiVoing a like one soap opera every day and watch it because that's a part of television that I feel like you're you're missing and I don't I don't that's no slight to you but daytime TV is a part of it yeah. and so I feel less like less and I, less I mean they're all going to be gone in the next few years that's true but I feel like it's uh, it'd be a neat experiment for your show for uh, for a month I don't know look into it all right all right thanks everybody for listening to that last part especially well, I want to say real quick okay. because I was just listening um I've talked about previously on show, previously on a lot. I want to talk about real quickly more than one lesson and oh, okay. the Ratatouille episode, which I know was a few months ago now, but I just listened to it like two days ago <laughs> yes, at the gym. Uh, awesome stuff. Oh, you liked it? Well done. Well, I recommend people listen to that as long as they're not going to be bothered by the fact that it is a Christian podcast. Yeah, I've started saying this now. <laughs> um, this is a Christian show. You'll find it in the Christian... Not this one. No, no, no. More Than One Lesson. More Than One Lesson is a Christian No, this one, if anything, is anti-Christian. No, More Than One Lesson is a Christian show. It's located in the Christian category in iTunes. You will hear, I'm a Christian. I say Christian things on the show. If you are offended by that, and you cannot stop yourself from emailing me, like, overtly negative things, like, if you're going to be bothered... Do yourself a favor. Do the internet in, in general a favor, and don't seek out things that you know will piss you off. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I don't have the energy to deal with your shit anymore. All right. <laughs> it's a Christian show. It always was. I'm not. I'm not Trojan horsing anything on you. Uh-huh. All right. It's right there. It's in the description. I enjoy the show, and I get a lot of positive feedback. But every once in a while, someone's like, I don't know. I don't think I liked all this. What, what, what did you expect? Well, your uh, your episodes on Ratatouille and Toy Story three have made me think of those films differently. There oh, good. is, uh, I I love the, I mean, again. I lo- I don't want if you are to, to keep attacking these atheist uh, straw men out there. Um, They're not straw men. It, uh, it's right. not a straw you're man right. if they email me. But if you are so bothered by that that you can't find a Christian interpretation of a film 
intellectually interesting or even helpful in your own interpretation of it, then you're denying yourself room for intellectual growth. So you should listen to... That Toy Story 3 episode is still my favorite one you've ever done. Oh, I think. Is it because I got choked up in it and I didn't take that out? No, it's not because of that. Good. I think I like it better when you're alone. No no slights against your guests. No, it's fine. But I do. I think I like the show better when it's just you. Well, you're my buddy. You know, you don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't like those other people. That's exactly why, is that, I, I get, I like, you call that chemistry when <laughs> someone else is on the show with you? <laughs> All right. Well, you should listen to, uh, the most recent episode features a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, in which we talk about uh, Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, which I know is a movie you're not a huge fan of, no. and uh, I'd be interested, to, and we uh, compare it to uh, Barton Fink, yes, your favorite movie favorite of all movie. time. So... But yeah, so uh, thank you for that plug. I appreciate that. No problem. Um, as of right now, there is a problem with my website. So if you want to listen... Hopefully by the time this episode is up, that's no longer true. Hopefully by the time I'm done talking now, uh, <laughs> that won't be true because I, I, I'm paying these people to fix this thing. And so hopefully they, they'll get to it too sweet. But um, but yeah, so uh, but if, if there is a problem... Uh, then you can still find me. You can still find it in iTunes and download all the episodes from there. So, yes, but thank you for that. Uh, and thank any you. Any questions yeah. for Pilar Alessandra? Any relationship or sex advice questions for our Pilar Talk uh, segment that we will record? We need to get a few more questions and I also need to work out a time with Pilar Indeed. to go over there and, and record. Uh, send those to david at battleshipretention.com. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.